0: Oh, quiet down. I've had enough. A Dishonored Fan Fiction Written by Tywin Read by God of Laundry Baskets Summary Five times someone hits on an asexual dod, and one time someone asks. 1. Client the client this time is a woman, a fact that surprises Dodd, not because women can't hire assassins or anything like that, but in Dunwall, in his experience, they tend not to. Men very much run things here, apart from the Empress, which is a strange difference from Sir Konos. Not once in the few years that he's spent on Gristol has a woman hired him but the price she's offering is good, according to Dodd's contact, and he isn't going to improve his reputation if he doesn't take any jobs. "'You're younger than I expected,' Lady Vale says, raking her eyes down, then back up his form. Dodd shrugs and crosses his arms. "'Your fee seems a bit high,' the noblewoman continues. For someone your age? This Dodd is used to. The price is not up for negotiation. I'm sure you have an array of services available, Vale says, looking at him like she's starving and he's a meal. She is not the predator in this equation, however, so though Dodd notes it, he ignores it. Retrieving information or property is extra, Dodd says, though why she would require either of those things is beyond him. She wants him to kill the husband who married her for her father's money. Everything will be hers in any case. Vale smiles, as if Dodd is a particularly entertaining pet. He's starting to become annoyed. I was thinking of something a bit more personal, she says lightly. Anything additional is extra, Dodd says, a bit impatiently. Handsome boy like you, I'm sure you've had your fun. But there is something to be said for experience. Dodd stares at her for several disbelieving moments. No, he says. Deals off. And turns on his heel. He slips out of the manor with ease, ignoring the lady's incensed cries. Her ladyship's been talking shit, Dodd's contact says a couple of days later, when Dodd checks in for any potential job offers. What'd you do, skip out on a bit of cuddling after the deed? Dodd can't help his disgusted grimace. There was no deed. His contact looks at him incredulously, then throws back his head and laughs. What? He says once his brain laughter has died down. How could you turn down a piece like that? Dodd resists the urge to punch him. Barely. 2. Wailer He starts recruiting after the outsider marks him when he realizes that he can share these arcane abilities with others. Another freelancer, only loosely associated with one of Dunwall's maraud gangs, a dishonorably discharged soldier, a pair of wrongly convicted escapees. The list goes on, and Dodd's reputation grows until he's more or less a gang leader himself. Aaron was one of the first, a man around Dodd's age who came to Dunwall searching for a new start. He's skilled with a blade. Dodd suspects he used to run with a gang in Whitecliff, though Aaron's never mentioned it. Dodd doesn't care about his men's past, so long as they don't prove to be a problem now. Aaron's also more proficient with the Outsider's powers. Dodd has yet to figure out what, if anything, determines that aptitude. Physically weak recruits can use transversals and pull heavier objects farther than stronger ones. That Aaron happens to be strong physically and magically is something of a mystery. Things are more informal in those days. Dodd has more to do with the daily running of the gang, training new recruits, and reviewing contract details. He never joins the men when they go to the Golden Cat, but it's not so unusual. Aaron, for instance, never goes either. Most times he brings a bottle of old Dunwall to Dodd's room, and they drink in peaceful silence. Dodd enjoys it, though he'd never admit as much. They've made their way through most of the bottle tonight. At some point, they moved to the bed, possibly because Aaron was complaining about the lack of seating. The chair at Dodd's desk is the only one. Dodd's slumped in the corner, his mind pleasantly buzzing, and he hears himself talking about Sir Konos, of all things, of coming of age in the gang that had stolen him from his mother. Aaron's pale cheeks are flushed, his eyes intent on Dodd, as he tells the story. At least he seems as drunk as Dodd, curled on his side, midway down the bed, head pillowed on one hand. I ran with a gang of thieves in Whitecliff. Aaron offers in the lull of silence that follows Dodd's admission. He sits up, pours himself another drink. Dodd shakes his head when Aaron offers to do the same for him. "'Was pretty good. Nothing like what you've built here, but pretty good.' He drains the glass in one smooth swallow, his throat bobbing. Dodd follows the pale column, to the unbuttoned collar, a concession to their drunken state, and the end of the vicious scar visible there. What happened, Dodd asks, because he's curious. He hates a mystery, and he doesn't dislike Aaron's company. Aaron's mouth thins, his gaze going somewhere far away as he leans against the wall. Wycliffe is… different. Dunwall's devout, sure, but it's worse in Whitecliff. Even the lowlives bind that Abbey shit. (sighs) He exhales heavily, shaking his head. We were stupid. I was stupid. I should have known better than to get involved with him, but I did anyway. We were in the same gang, all but lived in each other's pockets before. It just seemed inevitable. We got caught. Others gave me this. He drags his collar down, exposing the rest of the scar. I got off lucky. They killed him. Shit, Dodd says, inadequate. Aaron nods. Yeah. Just like that, the comfortable atmosphere's gone. Aaron sways forward, bracing a hand on Dodd's thigh. Dodd tenses at the touch, but there's nowhere to recoil, and then Aaron's pressing their lips together, licking into Dodd's mouth. Dodd shoves him back. No, he snarls, feeling absurdly betrayed. The expression is mirrored on Aaron's face before he abruptly stands, not looking at Dodd. I'm sorry, I'll go. Dodd doesn't stop him. He lays out the anti-fraternization rules the next day, ignoring the confused looks from most of the men and the more knowing ones from those who've been around a bit longer. "'Um, why now, sir?' a relatively new recruit asks. The young man cringes under Dodd's glare. "'It came to my attention that it was necessary,' Relationships among yourselves will compromise your objectivity. Don't let it happen. Dodd snaps. One of his older subordinates looks far too amused. When he opens his mouth to speak, Dodd snarls, Dismissed! Aaron leaves the gang a few weeks later. Dodd allows him a week's head start before he orders some of the others to go after him. 3. Target I can offer you things that whoever hired you couldn't, his latest target says, having moved past the typical, tedious, disbelieving whining to desperate pleading. There's fear in his eyes, of course, and he winces when a swipe of his tongue hurts the split lip Dodd had put there only a few minutes earlier. This particular contract had become messier than Dodd intended. Honestly, Dodd prefers to put them out of their misery before they can even begin the whining, begrudgingly. He has to acknowledge that the man had somehow noticed his presence, despite the supernatural influence of the outsider's abilities, and put up a decent fight, so perhaps he deserves to be heard before Dodd ends it. I already know you can't beat their price." Dodd says, because he's broken into the safe while he was waiting for the man to arrive, and background research had revealed that the target's influence lay in his political position, not actual wealth. He glares down at the kneeling man. Try again. "'I'm not offering you something so common as coin,' the man says, daring to edge closer. There's a brief flicker of pain as the motion puts strain on his now-ruined leg, but he has no weapons on him, and Dodd knows he could take the injured man easily. There's a strange note to his voice, one that Dodd vaguely recognizes, though he's never heard it in this context before. Dodd raises his eyebrows, though his grip on his blade doesn't relax one bit. He can't imagine that the man has anything to offer that can outweigh the amount of coin his employer has promised, but he's been surprised before. As a rule, though, he doesn't like to be surprised. Dodd tenses when the man raises a hand, thoroughly bewildered when he braces it lightly on Dodd's hip. Usually I ask that weapons as blatant as that not become involved, the man all but purrs, gaze flickering briefly to the blade. Though I will, of course, make an exception this time. Something clicks in Dodd's brain. The tone of voice is not unlike the ones he's heard whores at the Golden Cat employ on clients, not that Dodd was ever there to indulge. The brothel simply happened to be a particularly useful place to assassinate marks, given what went on there. That he sometimes had to witness those acts was an inconvenience that he tried to avoid but he couldn't say that it wasn't to his advantage. In the time it takes for Dodd to realize what, exactly, the target intends to do to pay him off, the man has his other hand at Dodd's belt, moving with surprising dexterity to pull it free. The man grunts as Dodd plants his boot into his chest, knocking him back. He gasps for breath for a few seconds, scrambling away, the fear coming back to the fore again. Wait! Shut up, Dodd says, annoyed. He ignores the man's desperate babbling and reappears behind him. A shout erupts from the man. Futile, Dodd knows the house is deserted. As Dodd wrenches his head back, it swiftly dissolves into a gurgle as Dodd draws his blade across the target's throat. He shoves the limp body away, stepping away from the spread of blood, and goes over to the window. His apprentice, Billy Lurk, straightens up from her crouch when he appears beside her on the rooftop opposite the man's house. "'Men don't turn your fancy, then,' she asks, the question seemingly innocent, but for the smirk he knows lurks at the corner of her mouth. She's too curious for her own good, but she's already learning how to temper it, and Dodd has to admit she's one of the most talented recruits, if not the most talented recruit he's ever had for his little band of assassins. No, he says curtly. We're going. Lurk falls in behind him without further questions, following him back to their base with ease. Few of the master assassins are as proficient with transversals as Lurk, which is fortunate for her as he would have done nothing to moderate his pace to accommodate a less skilled assassin. 4. CLIENT REDUX. Whenever someone hits on him, they tend to be women. Possibly it happens more often with men than he realizes, if Billy's amused remarks mean anything. Dodd ignores them for the sake of his sanity. Whether it's because he's more appealing to women, or merely the fact that relations between men and women aren't forbidden by the Abbey, it is what it is. Really, they're already hiring an outsider-marked murderer. A bit of same-sex interaction could hardly be worse in the Abbey's eyes. Not that Dodd's complaining. All the same, his latest would-be lover— and current client follows the same pattern. Dodd's actually aware of the client's over-the-top flirting for once. It could be because her flirting is more like proposition after blatant proposition, really. Though outwardly, he imagines an observer wouldn't be able to tell. He can see Billy's shoulders shaking minutely, probably with barely repressed mirth. He'll leave her at the base next time and bring someone who can overlook these unfortunate occurrences instead. Rulfio is sensible and old enough that he wouldn't be titillated by Dodd's misfortune. Hopefully. Serkonos is known for its merchants the woman says, leaning forward far enough that Dodd's honestly surprised her ample bosom hasn't fallen out of her dress yet. I'm not a merchant, Dodd says, resisting the urge to step away. You're a merchant of death, she makes it sound like the most attractive designation in the world. A shaky muffled sound, a laugh disguised as a cough, surely, escapes Billy. He shoots her a glare. I ask for half the payment up front before I take the contract, and the rest after the mission is completed, he tells the noblewoman through gritted teeth. If she hears him, she makes no sign of it. Sir Kaunos is also known for its lovers, the woman says, paraphrasing slightly, which is surprisingly tactful, considering how spectacularly unsubtle she's been throughout. Dodd might have snapped if she called him a whore. As it is, he's fed up. I really wouldn't know, and if you don't shut up, "'I'll double the price,' he snaps. "'So, you're a faggot,' the woman says, "'straightening as her face settles into lines of disgust. "'I shouldn't be surprised. "'You have that, Mark!' "'Billy sleep-darts her before she can say any more, "'and she grabs Dodd's arm when he makes to stalk over. "'She's not amused anymore, which is something, at least.' Let it go. I'll get the boys to deal with this, she says. Dodd jerks out of her grasp. Fine. Plus one. Whaler redux. So, Billy says, leaning casually against his desk. She's foregone the mask today, an indulgence that Dodd allows, because she is, after all. His second now. The new crimson jacket says as much. You don't like women or men? Dodd blinks up at her, his mind still halfway occupied with looking over a new contract. Then he blinks again, because no one has ever asked. They just assume. But it would be Billy who asks. She's good at ferreting out information. That's right, he says, leaning back. You don't like the intimacy or the fucking? Both, he says. There's no reason to lie about it. Something crosses her face then, gone too quickly for him to decipher. He's good at reading her body language, less so at reading her expressions. She usually wears the mask. Irrationally, Dodd feels like he should look away. He resists the urge. "'That mean you've never—' Billy smirks as she makes a lewd gesture, her serious mood lifting. Dodd rolls his eyes, releasing a breath he hadn't realized he was holding. "'That's none of your concern.' "'So you haven't—' Billy, he snaps, but the words hold less bite than they would if anyone else had asked. Billy raises her hands in mock surrender, then adds, impudent, Just saying. Outsider's eyes, Dodd mutters. I have, a few times. It was nothing life-changing, and I regretted it afterwards, and if I hear any Of the men talking about this, they won't have heard it from me, Billy says smoothly. She glances at the clock and makes a show of straightening up. Shit, I need to meet with Thomas. She's gone before Dodd can reply. He sits at the desk without moving for a long time before he picks up the contract again. 5. which? The thing about the nobility is, they only follow the Abbey's teachings as much as they have to. They'll mow along to the strictures in public and then tend hidden shrines as soon as the overseers turn their backs. Dodds found more room bone charms sneaking around noble estates than anywhere else. The downside is, sometimes, they find a heretic with actual knowledge, and set up magical protections that Dodd can't break into so easily, which is what brings him down to the dilapidated Bridgemoor Manor. The mud sucks at his boots, not unlike the riverbank of Rudshore. It stinks, not unlike Rudshore, but the rot here is more organic and somehow fouler. You'd think all the flowers would make it smell nicer, Billy comments as they transverse to the gate. Their contacts waiting to meet them, a woman about Dodd's age, clad in pale greens and yellows. Oh, she says, meeting them before the fence. I didn't think the knife of Dunwall himself would come. Dodd shrugs. I want this done properly. Personnel issues? The witch asks, smiling. The coven is quite skilled, if you have need of our services. I need a charm that allows me to slip past this. Dodd pulls out the copy of the arcane sigil, protecting the nobleman's estate. Her coy expression fades as she studies the diagram. Interesting, she looks up again with another smile. How soon? As soon as possible. The witch makes a thoughtful noise. Hmm, we don't usually lend out our services in this regard, she says. Name your price, Dodd says, trying to curb his impatience. We could negotiate inside, the witch suggests. It's more comfortable. Dodd's gaze flicks to the barred gate and the sagging manor house beyond. I'm in a hurry. A pity. Perhaps we can meet up once your business is finished. Dodd shrugs. How much? One thousand coin. Five hundred. Seven-fifty. Fine, Dodd says, and shakes her hand. It seems to linger for a bit too long, and Dodd pulls back first, crossing his arms. Well, the witch murmurs, I'll have the charm carved, and maybe I'll see you around. Likely, Dodd agrees absently. While making use of arcane rituals is usually more trouble than it's worth, it sometimes is the most expedient method. These witches seem to know what they're doing, and they're not like the fantical outsider worshippers that Dodds had to deal with before. He departs, Billy at his heels, and thinks nothing more of it. Until Billy sidles up to him on the journey back to Dunwall somehow managing to give the impression of a smirk, despite the mask covering her face. "'She was coming on to you,' she tells him, any amusement distorted by the mask. "'What? No, she just wanted more coin—' Dodd cuts himself off, annoyed at himself for rising to the bait and not noticing earlier, though, in hindsight, it seems obvious.' Billy snorts. Typical Dodd, she says, turning to look out over the river. Maybe I should pick up witchcraft for myself, Dodd says. That earns him another snort. Billy shakes her head, but doesn't say anything more when Dodd braces his forearms on the railing beside her. They watch the countryside pass in silence. Do you suppose there are many people bearing the mark? She asks, a while later, her tone serious now. Not many, Dodd says, but he wonders all the same. There's the old witch who haunts the poor districts and the sewers and Dodd himself that he knows of off the top of his head. He suspects there's another. Recently, he's found shrines plundered. Perhaps it says something about Dunwall that so many of the outsiders chosen congregate there. Or perhaps they are not such an exclusive number as Dodd thinks. I'd like to meet him some day, Billy says. No, you wouldn't, Dodd doesn't say, even if he believes it. He knows he wouldn't turn down the mark even if he had the chance, even knowing what he knows now. The End